Thank you. Yeah, my name's Tim. I'm part of the team that uh, leads Grace Church. So we're going to be in uh, the book of 1 Samuel this morning. If you've got a Bible and want to turn there, we're going to be in chapter 28. Um, And I have to speak on what I reckon is probably up there as one of, if not the most bizarre story in the entire Bible. So we're... (laughs) So we're going to have a look at it and then we'll... um, uh, we'll see what on earth we can make of it. So I'm going to start in verse 3. We'll kind of read the introduction and then we'll get into the main bit in a little bit. So it's 1 Samuel chapter 28 verse 3. Now Samuel had died. So sorry, Samuel is, um, is the prophet in Israel. So the kind of the guy who speaks for God on behalf of the country. Um, he died a couple of chapters ago, but we've just been reminded of that by the author. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul, so Saul is the king over Israel at this time. Um, Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. It's a weird comment. Uh, the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. Uh, When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. So Saul's, uh, he's in a situation, the Philistines have attacked them again. Um, and they've come right into the middle of Israel, and they've encamped at one place, he's encamped at another, not very far away, sort of two hills, they can see each other. So he is looking at this army, and it is making him afraid, which is, I guess it's an understandable emotion. He's got an obstacle in front of him, Um, he doesn't quite know how to get through it, and he's a bit scared by it. And I suppose all of us, at times, we have obstacles in front of us, we haven't got, we don't know how to handle it, we don't know how to get through it. It makes us scared. And so he, um, he asks God, we're not quite clear exactly what, we'll come back to that in a bit, but it says he inquired of the Lord. So he asks God, and God doesn't answer him. He asks in a few different ways. He asks by dreams, so that's sort of Saul saying, um, Jesus, would you, or no, he wouldn't say Jesus, but God, would you speak to me uh, while I dream? And he goes to sleep, and he dreams of sheep or whatever, and he wakes up, and he thinks, that wasn't very enlightening. Um, and he tries by, it says, by Urim, which are these sort of, a lot like things that you can cast that the priests had in Israel. So he tries that, doesn't seem to work. Um, he tries the prophet. So he goes and talks to some of the people who used to hang around with Samuel when Samuel was around. And again, doesn't seem to enlighten him very much. So he doesn't quite know what to do. And he starts to think about what else he could try. Before we get into what he does, just to notice, this is a problem <laughs> entirely of his own making. Um, so the reason that this Urim thing that the priests use doesn't work for him is because he's killed all the priests a couple of chapters ago. The only priest left in Israel with a guy called David, who's the one that God has said he's actually going to be king now, and Saul is supposed to get out of the way. So it's no wonder it doesn't work, because he's killed them all. The reason that him talking to the prophets doesn't work is because last time he spoke to some prophets, this was this guy Samuel, Samuel uh, said what God had to say to him, it wasn't very nice, it involved the things that Saul had done wrong, um, and basically said that Saul wouldn't be king anymore. Saul didn't like that, didn't take kindly to it, he's fallen out with them all. So the reason that he doesn't hear God through the prophets is again entirely of his own making. So it's his disobedience that's got him here. But nonetheless, I imagine he's starting to get a bit desperate which I can at least relate to, the idea that you've got a problem, you're scared of it, you've tried some things that look like good ideas, it's not worked. And he's starting to think, what on earth do I do now? Now, while I've been there, I must admit, I've never responded how Saul did next. 
Because Saul's thinking, dreams didn't work, priests didn't work, prophets didn't work. What can I do? What can I do? I know. How about I ask a witch? So let's have a look, shall we? It's, it's weird. Um, so, going back to verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. So this is the Saul who we've just heard put all the mediums out the land. But he's saying, um, find me one anyway. Um, and his servants said to him, Behold, there's a medium at Endor. So know exactly where she is. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments. So he's trying to make it so that uh, it's not obvious that he's the king when he turns up. And went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. So just to, to clarify, this place Endor that they're going to is sort of due north of where Saul is and will require him to go directly through the Philistine army to get there. So this is a strange thing he's deciding to do. He's sort of saying... Uh, I, I want to see this woman so much, I'm going to risk my life to go see her. So they came to them by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name for you. It's weird. Uh, and the, Saul, sorry, the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. So she doesn't know who this is she's talking to. He's disguised himself. She probably didn't know what the king looked like, and he's not dressed like the king. Um, surely you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? So I imagine she's thinking, this guy who's come to talk to her, he's trying to trick her into revealing the sort of thing that she does, because in Israel at this time, the penalty for witchcraft or necromancy or being a medium would, would be death. Um, and that's kind of, that's in the law of the Old Testament. So Saul was doing the right thing when he got rid of them. So she thinks that someone's trying to trick her. Um, but Saul swore to her by the Lord. What a prat. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. What he's saying is, essentially, in the name of Jesus, the thing that Jesus thinks is really wrong, go and do it. In the name of the Lord, black is white. It's, it's weird. It's, in fact, it's deeply blasphemous, I suppose. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. Which, if we know anything about Samuel, we're already thinking this is not going to go well for Saul. Um, then the woman saw Samuel. Sorry, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So she does whatever it is she does, and something happens, and she sees Samuel, and then she's, she's scared. And she sort of recognizes then this as the king, so she's fearing for her life. Now, exactly why she's surprised, I don't know. It's, it'll either be because she's realized that this is Saul, and so she thinks she's going to die, or possibly even just because Samuel stood in front of her, and that wasn't quite what she was expecting. might even be both. Um... The king said to her, do not be afraid. So the king who is terrified of what's going on is saying to this woman that he ought to be punishing because he's doing something that God says is wrong. He's saying, don't be afraid. He's going all around. He's all twisted about. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. 
So that, again, seems weird, because it sounds a bit like she said, I see an old man, he's gone, it must be Samuel, um, just to, which is on the level of, I suppose, someone, when someone's trying to describe someone else that you know, and you've kind of, you're not quite sure what they're talking about, um, and they said, oh, you know, they're, um, they're a woman, and I go, oh, yeah, I know exactly who you mean. It seems like there's no information there, but I suppose to clarify a little bit, um, when it says he's wrapped in a robe, what she's getting, she's kind of saying, I see an old man who's dressed as a prophet. So it's not completely bonkers that Saul then says, oh, it's Samuel. Um, the weird thing is that it does indeed appear to be Samuel, because if we go on, then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Samuel is furious. He's absolutely livid. And are we surprised? I think I would be. Think about where would Samuel be? He's died. He knows God. Right now, he is in the presence of Jesus. He is with God, enjoying himself, waiting for the resurrection of the dead. And then he finds himself sort of somehow called back to talk to Saul. I think it is no surprise at all that he is very, very cross. And then he says to him, um, no, sorry, Saul answered, I am in great distress. It's going to get worse in a minute. But I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. Not this. but um, And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. So that's the other guy I mentioned who God has said will be king. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, so something that happened in the past, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. So far, what Samuel has said to Saul is exactly what he said to him last time he saw him. So Saul has found out absolutely nothing. He's been told the thing that he already knew. Um, and then Samuel does add a little bit. He says, moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. Oh, which means dead. Which is what happened, actually. We see it in two chapters' time. But the next day, him, his sons, they all die. Um, the Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. So not only will Saul and his sons die tomorrow, Israel will lose this battle because of what he's saying. Then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. No surprise. It's a strange story. And... <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Um, and... It's the sort of thing that when I'm reading my Bible, I don't know if you're the same, you read it and you think, okay, that's kind of an interesting story. Let's go on, because I don't know what to do with it. What, what relevance does this have for my life? It's, it's an interesting story, I guess, it's, but it doesn't seem like much more than that, um, which is a challenge to preach it. So I'd, I'd say thank you, but I, I picked it, so it's my own fault. Um, <laughs> I mean, we, we could be trite, <laughs> I suppose, and say that the application is you shouldn't talk to witches, which, okay, maybe it is a bit trite. I mean, actually, there's something in that. Um, this stuff is real, and it is dangerous, and we shouldn't get involved with it. Or at least, if you have got it, then you need to know that the power of God is significantly stronger than the power of the enemy, but that doesn't mean it's not dangerous. So it is stuff that's worth avoiding. 
Um, but probably, from, that might actually be a really helpful comment for some, but for most, that's not something that you're doing in your daily life, I would imagine. I might be wrong, but I would imagine. Um, so how can, how can we put ourselves into Saul's place? Well, he's scared... And he goes, he goes to look among the dead. Well, that's not normally my reaction when I'm scared. But, in fact, it seems strange. This is completely... He's sort of tried some sensible things. He's gone to do something completely bonkers. But why does he do that? Why does he do that? Because it says he, he inquires of God, but I don't actually think he wants to hear from God because he's already heard from God and he didn't like what he heard. So it, and Samuel then tells him exactly the same thing, which shouldn't surprise us, I guess. So he doesn't so much want to hear from God as he wants to find an escape from the situation. So God's told him previously, you aren't going to be king anymore because of what you've done. David is. So I guess there was a right way out for Saul that would have involved repenting of his sin, saying, yeah, that was wrong, turning away from it, and probably stepping aside as king and letting David come in because he'd kind of removed himself by his actions. And I think God would have applauded him if he'd done so. I think that's what repentance would have looked like for him. So he knows what God would say and indeed how to get out of this situation. I think if he'd done that, David would have come back in, they would have defeated the Philistines. Different story. But he wants a way out. He wants escape. He wants a way to still be king. He wants a way to still have that, that status. He's looking, I guess he's looking for the wrong thing. Because looking for the right thing would have been, how do I get to what God wants from me? How do I, how do I sort of step aside? How do I get David back? How do we win this thing? Um, so he's looking for the wrong thing. And so because he's looking for the wrong thing, he looks in the wrong place. Now, that's when I can start to relate to Saul a little bit better. Because while I've had none of those experiences, I do look for the wrong thing sometimes. And I do find that when I do, I end up looking in the wrong place. So are you looking for looking for the wrong thing. I think it's something we do when we're afraid. We look around for things other than God for God's own sake. So perhaps, I don't know, perhaps you're looking for, perhaps you're scared, you're facing a situation, you're looking for comfort. It's a natural thing to want. Sort of ease for it to feel better, to do something that makes you feel like it's less painful than before. Perhaps you're looking for, I suppose, escape from the way it feels, the situation you're facing. And that might feel more like being, I guess, numb to it, sort of looking for um, the emotions to go away. So doing something or taking part in something that, that kind of removes those emotions for you. Perhaps you're looking for... I mean, I think Saul probably wanted both of those things. He, he didn't like the fear. He wanted it to go away. Um, and he would have liked to feel more comfortable than he did. Uh, perhaps you're looking for status or success, as Saul was. He wants to stay king. And while that's none of our situation, we might well find ourselves acting in ways to try and, uh, to try and gain status, either maybe before other people, um, to get people to say that you're good at something or to lord you or to give you status or to succeed. Perhaps, I guess, connected, we're looking for approval. I, I suppose Saul wanted approval from the people. He would have quite liked approval from God. He just didn't like what was involved in getting that. We might well look for approval from others. Or even we might feel that we have to earn the approval of God. Perhaps, perhaps much like Saul, you're trying to get the future that you want. You know, there's something you want to happen, and it's not happening. And so you're trying to do things to make it happen. Or 
Um, like sort, I don't actually don't think he did want this, but he looked like he did. Perhaps a bit like him, you want answers or an explanation. You know, life's confusing. You don't get why the things that are happening to you are happening. And you want to understand them so that you can move through them or, or get out of them or, or whatever it might be. And none of those things sound bad in themselves, perhaps, but it's when they become the thing that we're looking for instead of looking for God that they become the wrong things. And we have a habit that when we look for the wrong things, we look in the wrong places. I think much like Saul, actually, we look among the dead. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we look, we look in places and for things that don't give us life. That's, that's what I mean when I say we look among the dead. We look for things. The dead are things that do not give us life. We look for life in places where it isn't. We visit well, witches, if you like, probably not literally for most of us, but we do things in the hope that we'll find what we're looking for, but they're not places where life is to be found. And I mean, look, there's a whole range of things this could be. Yeah, fine. There's some, some things which you might go, well, that's obviously wrong, or you might feel that way. But it could be anything that we put in the place of God, or we get things from that we're supposed to go to God for. These can be you know, completely neutral things like enjoying food and drink. We, it could be you know, watching television, whatever. We can put things in the place of, of God in order to get our comfort, our approval, our, uh, our escape from. Um, there can even be good things. We can have a habit, I do this, I don't know if you do, of making good things ultimate things where we take things that God has given us that please him, but we do them perhaps to try and earn approval from him rather than doing them because we already have approval. So, you know, reading your Bible, praying, fasting, church, serving, all these things, great things, please God. When we do them to earn approval, they turn into dust because that's not where life comes from. We look for life in, in things that are dead. Um, I think we have this strange habit of not noticing that we're doing it as well. This is oh, it's not the most pleasant story ever, but it's happened to me yesterday. Um, there's, there's been a smell in our house for probably last week or so. It's been growing a little bit. So the first few days, you think that's probably the... I need to take the bin out, so you do. Um, you think, oh, that's sort of, it'll clear tomorrow morning. And then it doesn't. And um, it probably wasn't until Friday night we came home some, from some friends and walked in and thought, Ooh. so the smell hit you when you came through the front door. And you think, something's dead in here. Which, we have a cat, so it's not completely inconceivable that she's sort of mauled something and it's crawled somewhere and died. So we were... Yesterday was Operation Find the Dead Mouse. Um, and we spent, because it was truly vile, we, the smell, we spent the day sort of thinking, where is it, trying to follow the thing, but the smell's sort of encompassing the whole house, and you're, you're trying to look behind stuff and under stuff, and did eventually find it. Um, it crawled in the back of the fridge, it sounded something hot, so that's why it stunk, because it was being cooked. Um, yeah, it's lovely. Um, <laughs> said it wasn't a very nice story. But, so here's the, here's the point, here's the reason I'm telling you. The strange thing is, you walk through the door, it stinks, a few minutes later, the smell sort of fades, and you don't really notice it anymore. Because I think your nose just gets used to it, and your body's built to just get used to the stuff it's around. And it isn't until, uh, as you can imagine, we had all the windows open to try and just get the smell out. Um, it isn't until kind of a gust comes through that the smell sort of comes back to you again, and you feel ill. Um, I think it's a bit like that. We can become, when we do things that aren't good for us, when we do the wrong things, things that don't give us life, we might know that, but very, very quickly we become used to it. 
And we need, I guess, the, the wind of the spirit to kind of blow through and go, oh, actually, that's not a very good idea. I shouldn't be behaving like that. Um, I shouldn't be thinking like that. I shouldn't be putting this thing first, even because it's just a thing. I'm, um, I'm reminded there's an occasion later in the Bible where uh, a man talks to a couple of women, and he says to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I think that's what we do. We look for life. We want life, but we look for it in all the wrong places. So that, that man was an angel, and he was talking to um, a couple of the women who were going to uh, anoint Jesus' body with perfume to get rid of the stench. Um, they'd gone to his Sunday morning. They'd gone to his tomb. They didn't find him because the angel said to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Because he wasn't there. Because he'd walked out of it earlier that morning. The only place we find life, the only place that we find life is in Jesus. And whenever we look to anything else for our life, we end up finding death, I guess. We end up smelling. So you want, say you want comfort. Well, the only place you're actually going to find comfort, actually going to find yourself sort of relaxing, able to enjoy, uh, to feel okay again, is in Jesus. He will, he will, he offers what he offers us. He says he offers us comfort. Doesn't make life easy, but he makes it bearable for us. If you're looking for, I guess, escape, he won't offer us the kind of escape that numbs our pain, but he will offer us the kind of escape that brings freedom, which strangely often makes us able to feel better, as in able to feel more. So sometimes it accentuates the pain, I guess, but he, offer us, he offers us escape through feeling our emotions and through able to, to know what our pain is. And then we find that he sits down with us and weeps and laughs when we weep and we laugh and enjoys life with us and is able to comfort us and go with us step by step. Maybe you're looking for approval. Or maybe you're trying to earn approval with God even. Well, you can't. But in fact, we, we even heard it. It's how Chris started worship. Chris isn't there. Wherever Chris is. It's how he started worship. Um, Chris talking about the fact that before Jesus had done anything, the father said over him, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. And when we know Jesus and walk with him, we find that actually God says the same thing about us and that God approves of us despite us not having done anything. If it was, uh, I think it was Roger praying early, the way that we get the status of Jesus because he sort of, he takes everything that's ours and throws it away and then he gives us everything that's his. So we end up having the approval that he has and God loves him completely and we end up having the, the status that he has, sort of ruler of everything, son of the most high God uh, with total access and we find that that is our status as well. So you want approval, you want status, you find it in Jesus. It's a bit different to the approval and status you might find elsewhere but it's still what we get. Maybe, you, maybe you're looking for a future, you know, trying to make the future that you want, trying to make things happen. Jesus doesn't necessarily give us the future we want, but he does give us a future so that there, you know, there is a day coming where he's going to come back, judge the living and the dead, and those of us who know him 
will find that we will be transformed to be like him, like on the inside. Our character will be like his. So all of our, our confusion, our mess, our sin, um, our temptations, all gone in a moment when we sort of actually look at him in the face and we'll be like him. And then he says, and you can live with me forever in the new age that I'm going to make and sort of just enjoy life being around him and doing things and just enjoying the world that he's made. Which is maybe not the future we wanted, but a better future. Maybe you wanted wanted answers or an explanation. Now, I'm afraid, at least my experience is, um, Jesus doesn't actually promise us those, or at least not, not the answers to the questions that we might ask. Um, you know, if life's confusing, you don't get why stuff's happening to you. You want to know what's going on. He doesn't promise to answer those, but what he does promise us is truth. Uh, there's a guy in the Old Testament called Job whose life gets completely wrecked. Everything that could go wrong goes wrong. And he asks for God to come and talk to him and tell him what's going on. And God does turn up. Um, but he doesn't actually tell him why. But he does tell him a number of things. Most of what he says is, so Job sort of says, why is this happening? And God turns up and says, hi, look at me. Which doesn't really feel much like an answer. But it is the kind of answer that Jesus gives us. In fact, literally what he says is, Job says, why is this happening? And God says, who are you to ask me that question? And then reels off some things about himself. uh, Which is not satisfying to my curiosity, but I've actually found it satisfying to my soul that when I want to know things, when I do not understand why my life is the way that it is, and I ask him, he rarely tells me, but he does always say, but look at me, I am the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And I love you, and I want you. Why don't we go on an adventure together? Which is no answer, but also better. So why are you you looking for the living among the dead? Why do we do it? Look at all sorts of places to find fulfillment and find hope and find joy, and yet it's in, it's in him. And we all do it. Some of you, I imagine, the Spirit is calling things to mind at the moment, and you're thinking, oh, my word, it's that. I, must, I have to do something about this thing. But it, all of us do it. We find we kind of spend our whole lives sort of thinking, oh, I might just, just do this. And this story is a warning to us. Because Saul is a little bit like us. It's quite a lot like us, actually. You keep doing that. You keep looking among the dead for life, and you will end up like Saul. You will shipwreck your life. This, is, this serves as a warning to us. It's like, do not live like him. And actually, it affected not just him. His sons all died, and at least one of his sons, Jonathan, is, I think, one of the most outstanding characters in the whole Bible. And it's beautiful man, such humility. And yet this happens because of what his father does. And it actually affects the whole nation. So our, our actions have consequences beyond ourselves. So when we, do, when we act like this, when we keep seeking life among the dead, then rather than life in the living one, then we, we wreck it, I suppose. It's a warning to us. But there's also hope. Because Saul could have fixed this. Not by this point. Actually, this is, this is basically, he's gone last chance or all. This is him sealing the deal. But he could have fixed it slightly before this, and so can we. When we look for the wrong things, all we have to do 
is what we call repent, which means say, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do turn around and say, I want to do this instead. I want to follow you, Jesus. Now, we can't do that without his help, but what we do is we go, hang on, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this thing all the time. I don't want to be doing this, looking for the wrong stuff. Jesus, help me, and then his spirit will help us turn around and follow him. And we find that in the living one, we can, we can live. Now, actually, our experience, or at least mine, and I'm sure you're the same, is that sort of as we walk this way, we sort of do this quite a lot, and, and we have to continually repent of things and turn away from them. That's okay. That is, that is what the Christian life looks like. But you find that you keep going this way, and you get further and further towards him as we realize we're looking at something else we don't need, and we repent of it, and we put it away. You do that, so it's not that we have to be perfect, but you do that, you will not end up like Saul at all. If you look to the living one, you'll find new life. And you'll find that your life is characterized by, yeah, your sin will have consequences, but your life will be characterized by the life of Jesus in you. And you'll find yourself on that great day with him and the multitudes. Now, actually, I think Saul will be there. Um, I do, based on some things that happened earlier in his life. So we'll, we'll be able to meet him. He will get in. He won't, yeah, he will get in. He'll look different then. He'll look like Jesus on the inside. He'll probably still be very tall. Um, because he was a very tall man. Uh, but he'll look like Jesus on the inside. And I'm sure he will regret his decisions. But he will be with us, worshipping Jesus forever. So there is even hope for him. But it's so much better when we can live for Jesus now. And everything, everything works out better. Um, so look to the living one and find new life. Okay.